I took a solo road trip to California, rented a car, and just like drove around Northern California and took photos. What was the biggest challenge when you were first starting out? I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way to fund myself. everyone, ladies and germs, welcome back to Low-Key Legends. I'm Britton Stepetic, your host, where each week I am honored and privileged to talk with some of the most amazing and creative people within the creative space. And this week is a real treat. It's a special episode because I have the honor of interviewing my friend, Karel. We went to design school together at Mass Art and graduated together, but his journey has been a little bit different than mine, and I think it's a really beautiful story to share about adventuring and following your passions. So who is Corel? Corel is a multidisciplinary designer fueled with a passion for discovering systematic solutions for any conundrum through analytical thinking while keeping in mind the importance of simplified usability, pleasant interactions, and captivating visual presentations through design. Currently, he is a full-time product designer at Workday. In his free time, you'll find Corel outdoors with his camera, driven by a passion for adventure and exploration. We're gonna dive really deep into that. He puts himself into physically challenging situations to get shots that you would be blown away by. He currently lives in a Mercedes Sprinter van and has been doing the van life for a year and five months. But right now, he's currently stationed in Colorado. So without further ado, welcome, Karel. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> Made me seem so professional, even though I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're professional, even though you're in a van and probably having to shit in a gas station or on the side. <laughs> that is so accurate. Yep. <laughs> I think that it takes a certain type of courage and dedication to pull off van life. So I'm actually really curious how that's going and what it's like to live in your, what, like 12 foot by seven foot yeah. van? I could do a quick tour. Um, so there's my queen bed. Uh, it's pretty spacious, you know, and then I got a closet right there. I got more storage and there's my pup, my co-pilot and then the driver's seat and storage. And that's about it. Um, fridge space and all that stuff, the sink and all the decorations. But so how did you even get into van life? What made you want to start? Yeah. Um, van life pretty much just came into my radar pretty like randomly. Um, so everyone's aware of the pandemic. Um, I moved to Colorado right before the pandemic happened, like January of 2019, um, actually no January of 2020. Um, and I kind of got stuck because I felt super isolated. Um, and everyone was going into isolation mode and that made it even worse. Didn't have friends in Colorado didn't have anything to kind of look forward to because my job was still actually in Boston. Um, and so I just had a lot of kind of self-exploration to do, figuring out what I actually wanted to do and why I made this move. Um, I actually moved because of uh, my ex at the time. 
But in reality, part of me didn't actually want to move. And so I was really just trying to figure out what happened, what I was doing, where I'm going, that kind of stuff. And the pandemic actually bloomed a lot of that for me. Um, And I immediately decided to just kind of take what I got and what I can do in the time being. And that sprouted the idea of getting a dog, my my dog, Mackie, um, getting a car at the time and started kind of just exploring what Colorado has to see. Um, And that that's what drew me into adventuring and exploring. Um, When I used to live in the East Coast, you're kind of stuck in like the city life, right? Like I grew up in Boston or I, I grew up in New Hampshire. And when you're in New Hampshire, there's some nature stuff, but it's not drastic like do outside stuff but it's not like super outdoorsy um in my opinion and then when i moved to uh boston i was stuck in the city but i still loved exploring boston i walked around the city took photos that's how i got into photography um and then yeah um and i kind of lost that when i moved to colorado but then when i got the car i started realizing like oh no one's out there there's no traffic i could just go anywhere and no one's gonna stop me so me and my dog you know in my jeep compass tiny car put a mattress in the back and i started just car camping everywhere and that i was like okay i could do this full time i'm sick and tired of paying rent and it's not even mine at the end of the day and um i'm just like okay what can i do to have a living situation and also explore and then i actually like started this was when i was really sucked into youtube and then van life popped up in my discovery thing and i was like oh shit i get i'm getting sucked into this type of i don't know it it was kind of a consuming thing at the time that i couldn't grasp yet because i didn't have a plan but once i started realizing like oh i could do that like that's something that i could do in the meantime and then plan for the future so after i got the idea like during car camping i got the van started van life and now i'm here i think it's a good opportunity where we can backtrack a little bit it's pretty amazing that you can do van life while working for work day and so what what is the kind of technical specs that you have going on? I have a thing called Starlink. Um, it's one of Elon Musk's projects. Basically, it's an antenna thing where it's connected to a router. And when I turn it on, it collects a satellite from like a SpaceX satellite and takes it back and I can have service anywhere. Uh, so basically, if I go on top of a mountain, no service. I just plug in my router and I have service. I could work anywhere. And it's surprisingly really good internet um, to the point where I don't game anymore, but I used to game earlier in the days of van life. And I was playing Modern Warfare, no lag, on top of a mountain. And I was like, what is this life? What was the biggest challenge when you were first starting out? I had a lot of fear about it to the point where the van was just sitting there unused for a couple months. And I would just like, after my lease ended, March of 2022 i just like kept adding monthly payments to my lease because i was so scared of starting van life um and then i just pulled the trigger like april i decided okay may's my last month i'm gonna start van life if i don't like it 
it within three months, six months, go back into apartment living, sell the van, and you'll probably make money out of it. Sprinter van, you know. So I just pulled the trigger, ended the lease, actually got rid of all my stuff. Didn't even have, didn't even think of selling it because I didn't want to put myself in, through that stress. So put it, got a storage unit, started van life, and then I wanted to make sure like I had internet, I had a source powerful power source uh good enough to make sure that i can power my internet and my laptop and at the time i had a hot spot i didn't even have starlink yet um and i was getting into meeting calls and it would it wouldn't be ideal like my internet was really bad and so that was that was another fear of mine like oh i can't sustain this um work's going to be upset with me i can't even keep up with work anymore because my internet sucks and within like a couple of weeks, I decided to get Starlink. And ever since then, I never had issues with internet. And that, like, I feel like that's the thing with van life is it's going to, something's going to be in, in on your plate added without you realizing that it's going to be like a hurdle. But once you like figure it out, it's such a lesson in the moment that can address a lot of like different things. Like, for example, so many things break in here and I now I'm like really handy. Like I figured out how to be handy because I wasn't used to be I wasn't even close to being handy before I started van life. Um, So now I'm like I can fix anything. I can even fix the van. I didn't I wasn't a car person before I started van life. Um, So like just things like that that you just learn on the daily. um, That's really another thing to be like really grateful about with van life you had sent me this really really cool i guess fact where you logged forty thousand miles in a year traveling around and i did the math and that's the equivalent of growing across the united states 13.8 times so i'm curious if if you've hit up all the greater 48 states and if not which are still left or maybe you don't want it to happen <laughs> yeah um it's funny because i've looped back the west side west of colorado twice so i've done like the pacific northwest twice um i've done like the southern states west south southwest states twice but i haven't actually touched van life on the other side Mm. only because there's really nothing to see i've done that drive from denver to boston twice three times um denver to michigan denver to chicago And there's just no draw for me. I don't feel like there's anything like I hate staying in cities. I hate driving around traffic with the van. Um, And so the only draw for me with a van life really is like seeing nature, seeing landscapes um, and being in the mountains for certain periods of time and just being stationary there. Actually, this jumped into my head. Do you have running water? Uh, kind of, uh, for the most part, I have water jug. Um, so I have this guy, but like, oh yeah, yeah. At a time four to six. Uh, but I also have, yeah, I have a sink where I do a lot of things. Um, I shower in it actually, uh, worst case, but yeah, I, I do have running water, but it's not the best because I have to do like six gallon at a time. Um, mm. but I mean, it's, you figure it out, right? It's, it's like one of the nuances of van life. Yeah, I was just curious. I'm like, you showed a sink before. And so 
I was just grabbing water myself and I was like, oh, how do you do that other than be picking up water? Yeah. Yeah. I have to go to like a, these dump stations or gas station. They have a spigot or faucet, um, fill up water there. Um, it's a slow process and I generally it's, I don't drink the water on the sink. Uh, but I, I do have a filter and sometimes I do trust the water because they have science like drinking water, potable water, and I trust the water. But for the most part, I don't really drink through the, the faucet or the sink. Um, but yeah, I mean, it works, right? I have my water jugs, so. Yeah, right on. Can you talk about your kind of journey, kind of stumbling into photography and how that started for you? After design school, I realized like, oh, I don't have to do deadlines. I don't have deadlines. I don't have to like, do all-nighters and so i have i just got all this time to myself and i realized like what am i gonna do now <laughs> um so the after graduating ted actually um ted is one of our closest friends um and he invited me to go to london with his sister um and i was like oh traveling maybe i could get into that and so I don't remember whose camera it was. I think it was Eric's. Um, I borrowed Eric's camera and I was like, maybe I'll just take this with me and snap some photos when I'm in London. Um, and so we were there for a week, week and a half. And the first couple of days, Ted and I would just walk around the city and it was so peaceful. And I would just, we would just bring our cameras and walk around. And I was, I would find like this creative kind of, motivation to try different angles with the camera oh i love that i got back to boston after that trip and i realized like oh i want to keep doing that because i i paused for like another couple weeks and i realized oh i, I want to get my own camera i want to go take photos in boston maybe go to another city like chicago and take photos there and that's what i did i like went into trips with friends different cities actually did um that same year or then i think it might have been early the next year i took a solo road trip to california rented a car and just like drove around northern california and took photos and that was then i realized like oh this this is like my next passion um because design when we were in school that was i thought i was like oh, this is going to be passion for my, the rest of my life. I can't really see myself doing anything else. Um, but ever since then, design has kind of stayed, taken a step back. I still love design. I still love doing what I do. But photography has kind of taken over the throne for me of like, oh, this is like my baby. I love doing this thing. And so I've never wanted to monetize it. I've never wanted to turn it into a job or like get gigs around photography because I did that every once in a while. Like I did wedding and I did like small brand stuff. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. This isn't why I'm doing photography. And so that's why I'm so, so far, I've turned down brands. I haven't collaborated with anyone towards my photography because I want that to be my thing. Yeah. Is there a brand or, or a company that you would accept a job from? If Nat Geo hit me up, I'm like, take me somewhere <laughs> or if like Sony was like try this new camera try this lens and go somewhere I'm like yeah take me anywhere um so those would be like if, if if it was related to something I had the freedom to express what however I want with that brand deal or that collaboration 
then I would easily take that job. In terms of gear, what kind of camera and lenses are you using right now? So my cameras right now, I have two cameras. Um, my main one is a Sony A7R3. Um, and then the other one, the sub, I like having two cameras so that I don't have to switch the lenses. So I just have two cameras, two lenses, quick and replace whatever lens I want to use. Um, and so, yeah. A, uh, A7R3, and then I have an A7 II, Sony A7 II. Um, those are my go-tos. They're kind of dated now. I'm planning on getting a new one, um, which is the updated of my R3, Sony A7R5. Um, and then the go-to lenses, I really love prime lenses. So the, way, the reason why my photos are so crispy and um, I love just keeping the detail in is because prime lenses... Uh, prime lenses mean like they don't have zoom. They're just like, for example, 35 millimeter. That's that's the lens that it is. Um, that means like the, all the glass in that lens is specific to 35. And so there's no like, um, it doesn't go down in the quality. If like, for example, in a zoom lens, for uh, I'll give you an example of 25 to 70 millimeter lens. Those lenses with a zoom, they kind of drop the quality down because you have to accommodate between the different zooms. Um, and so prime lenses, yeah, my go-tos are 35 millimeter, 14 millimeter prime uh, G Master Sony. How do you capture those beautiful images of animals in the wilderness? Especially like I'm assuming it's hard to get close to wild animals like mountain goats, etc. How are you capturing that? When I want to try out uh, wildlife stuff, um, those I need to be far away. So I have the 100 to 400 millimeter zoom lens uh, from Sigma. So I have a pretty good range of lenses and I just play around with them. Um, and I also, for my videos, I've slowly been getting into the video stuff. That's why I want to upgrade my camera. Um, most of my videos right now are drone footage. Um, and my go-to for drones is uh, the DJI uh, Mini 3. I just love DJI stuff. Your work is so cinematic. It's like watching beautiful, expansive shots like Anthony Bourdain's show, No Reservations. What are some of your biggest influences? I love watching travel stuff. Um, and yeah, Anthony Bourdain, Discovery stuff, uh, Planet Earth. Those are like my motivation to like keep doing what I do. What does like a typical day look like? Are you taking like breaks and then shooting photos? So I'm just going to give you kind of a average day. I would try to catch the sunrise wherever I am um, and either just sit outside, have a coffee, or if I'm in a cool location, set up, take photos. Um, that's my morning routine up to like 8 or 9 a.m. Then my first stand-up meetings happen. And I would say that first, 6, 7 a.m. to noon, that's when I'm most productive for my job. Um, and then I have the afternoon to explore, do whatever. I Sometimes I have meetings in the afternoon, but most of my meetings are in the morning. So I would either go drive around or go to the park, let Mackie out, um, and do whatever I want to be active for the day um, or go on a hike, that kind of stuff. Um, and then at the end of the day, too, that's when I get to relax and just sit back. And sometimes I have like Netflix on and then I get bored. And so I start working again. And I think that's the, that morning space and that at, late afternoon to evening space is when I get really productive for work. Um, and 
in general, that's how my balance have been happening in a day to day is I just have work, play, work and rest. And I think that's, that's worked out for me. To me, it sounds like you through work and through kind of the flexibility of, of the job have been able to truly design your life in a way that works for you, but also work day. And it's this kind of harmonious balance. And I think that's perfect for a, for a designer by trade to design their life to fit their needs, wants, and dreams and desires. I think you've done an incredible job of that. And we probably all need to take a, a little bit of a step back and evaluate how much time we're working. Yeah, I couldn't have put that in, a, in better words. What's the biggest lesson that you've taken away from Workday and this designing of your life opposed to other jobs? So when I used to work at Cisco, I kept over delivering to the point where I was just like, here, take all this designs, figure it out. And now my designs are even, I feel like the quality of my designs and deliver are even higher because I am more aware of what I want to give out and what should be done to make sure what I'm delivering is actually higher quality. Um, I used to think like, Oh, the more screens you make, the more prototypes, the more arrows, the more things that you see in the artboard, that's when you're like, oh, I did so much. I did that. They shouldn't be complaining. Like, I value my work more now that I'm showing less, not delivering less, showing what really is important in a specific like workflow or UI or button, really crafting. I guess through the journey of life, you've discovered this kind of newfound sense of quality and delivering the right amount opposed to over delivering via doing too many things that may not be applicable and will only cause more work down the road because it kind of adds confusion. Exactly. Yeah. The lesson that I've had to learn is to trust my gut and just show the right things and, and to really stand by it. And if, if it's a client or if it's internal, even just kind of having a real clear reason why it is you're doing something and, and understanding that if you believe in it wholeheartedly, there's probably some merit to it and that it'll translate effectively to others. It's all about intention and making sure the intention is clear in whatever you're showing to anyone. To piggyback off of intention, because I do think that's beautiful. When you're behind the camera, is the intention fun or what is the intention that you have and the desire to keep taking photos? It's a combination of a lot of things. Um, number one for sure is craving that validation. I feel like everyone has a sense of like wanting to be validated of their work without validation. <laughs> you lose the sense of like, why am I doing this thing? What is the purpose of doing things? Um, and so that's definitely number one is whenever I take photos or post anything, validation is definitely in my head. Even though when I do capture something and see something that I like and I post it, I don't really think about it. Even if I don't like get enough likes or get enough attention around it, I, just the sense of like, oh, there's certain people that like this photo or this video, that's enough validation. I don't need a million likes or 
like it being featured somewhere to be validated. I just want that feeling like, oh, someone actually likes my stuff. Validation is the curse of the artist and creative in general, because we make things, first of all, for us, we share them because it's, it's definitely something we have to do as artists. We have to put work out into the world. That's the purpose. Yes, you can make things that are only for you, but they should be seen by others. And we want people to like them. Of course we do, because that's half of the, the joy is sharing the work. So I, I'm not hearing that it's about the likes from you. I'm hearing that it's about sharing it and building a sense of community with your fans, your followers, your audience in general. And the amount of likes or clicks or comments just gives you that extra bit of incentive to just keep going and doing it another day. And I think we all need that because sometimes being a creative really sucks when we're in that, (laughs) that, that pit of depression and we're just like, everything I make is awful. I need Yo. just something to get me out. Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm not even kidding you. Like likes helps, comments helps. Getting seeing that number go up just a little tad on your followers. Hell yeah, I'm doing something right. Um, I'm not gonna de- deny the fact that that feels good. Um, and so that's definitely number one. Um, and then number two is every time I take a photo, I get a sense of like kind of that fulfillment of like capturing a moment for myself and experiencing it in a frozen way um, that I then get to like, in a way, in a short amount of time, relive it at some point because I do, I scroll through my feed, I rewatch my videos and it's just for me to be like, oh my God, I was there. I got to experience that. Oh my God, that sunset was the best sunset that I could ever think of. Like, I haven't even seen a sense of like that in any other post. And so just like owning a moment in a way feels very fulfilling. What is your favorite place that you've ever been? I mean, I guess that goes back into your second point where you're talking about capturing a moment in time. I'm sure there's many, many, but is there one place that if you were to die today, I knock on wood, that you so happy that you got to go yeah no i'm ready to die i've lived my life no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) um it's that's always a hard question everyone asks me that um but it's a tie between i don't know it's kind of a low-key place but it's gotten more popularity recently um glacier national park in montana Mm -hmm. that has been i've gone there twice and i've always been amazed at how that exists um because i feel like yes there's similar places around the world like it but just for me as a van lifer being able to access it just drive around it and just like park somewhere in there and stay there and camp there and have so much access to it also getting to experience the beauty of it it was such an amazing experience every time i go there um and the drastic terrain change and the wildlife like you I've seen grizzly bears there, a grizzly mom with two cubs, moose, everything. Um, And it's a tie between that and also Oregon. Um, Oregon just has a certain beauty. It's similar to like a combination of Washington, California, 
Uh, but Oregon just has like a sense of home that feels like you are always in a cabin anywhere you go in Oregon. Um, and especially like driving around the coast, staying around the coast, and then being able to like quickly move into the woods, into the mountains, and being able to hang out in such close proximity, drive around those two different terrains and lifestyles is, I, I just love Oregon that way. Um, so yeah, lifestyle wise, like I would even move to Oregon, but the play, my favorite place that I've been to is Glacier for sure. So I'm curious about how the process of immigrating shaped you in your childhood and, and influenced you as you grew into adulthood. I lived in the Philippines for 13 years prior to coming to the, to New Hampshire, uh, the United States. Um, and that was a pretty, even though our family had kind of had a rough time, um, cause we financially, we were very poor. Um, I feel like my parents made sure that we had a very comfortable life. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up with my grandparents. We had a lot of family in the Philippines. We still do. Um, and yeah, I think I have about like 50 to a hundred cousins. Um, and so growing up in the Philippines always felt safe and secure. Uh, but now that I, I am, am able to reflect on it, um, we grew up really poor. Um, we would bounce from house to house. And my dad at one point realized like he, he can't sustain the family just staying in the Philippines. And so he, um, I don't remember what age I was. I think I was eight or seven, um, like four or five years prior to moving. He moved to the United States away from the family, moved to like a, a relative in New Hampshire and started off really small, like worked at a, a really small jobs, gigs here and there. And then he stuck with a pest control company and he was able to like save up enough of enough money to start um, investing in like moving the whole family to the United States. Um, and that was always been, I've always praised my dad for making sure that we're educated, we're um, in like a path that leads us to um, kind of a fulfilling life, even though Asian families, you know, they tend to navigate towards like a scripted lifestyle. Um, I'm still very grateful for how my parents raised me. Um, but to actually counter that, <laughs> um, my parents, since they've like moved the whole family to the United States, I actually, I was very excited in moving to the United States, but when we moved here, I immediately regretted it. Two of us in our family, so I have four siblings, two of us were very against the move. And I wanted to go, go back into the Philippines, like whatever way possible. I realized like, oh, whatever, I'll figure it out here. Um, and so that was actually a really sad time in my life where, because um, I moved here in the United States um, when I was 13, but I already finished freshman year of high school. And we don't have middle school in the Philippines. And so when we moved here, I remember taking, making us like the school district, making us take a test. And if we were smart enough, we did like, I didn't have to go back to retake middle school, like a couple grades back. And so I passed it. And I remember starting when we moved here in like November to New Hampshire in November, 
Um, I immediately started school like a week later, two weeks later, and just really lost, felt really lost and felt really unsure of what's going to happen to me and why life is even a thing. And now I feel like that's what opened me to like being more existential. Um, and now I feel like that was a very critical point in my life to like figure out, figuring it out is like a tough word to say, but I feel like if I didn't figure it out, I would have kept going in a down downward slope. But I feel like because I dove into like being depressed and really thinking through what, why things were happening and really trying to be understanding of my parents, that kind of stuff, I was able to just come out of that feeling actually like okay after so yeah I, I was a sophomore at 13 in high school graduated high school at 16 and then because I didn't know I'm 16 I didn't know what I wanted to do I just followed what my dad wanted me to do it was like okay you can probably do engineering because you're good at math or do these other things like uh, go to med school or uh, yeah whatever scripted line there is um, and I did I did try engineering for a year hated it and that was a big turning point because um i faced my parents and were like hey i can't do engineering the only thing i can really think of that i want to do that i feel like i should pursue is design because i took a couple of like creative classes while i did engineering and my professors at the time were really pushing me to shifting there and trying out design and i, I was very at that point like experimental with like adobe suite um i had a, i had my hands on photoshop illustrator and was like doing all sorts of experimentation around those products drawing and i've like felt aligned with what my professors were telling me and so because of that i wanted to fight for myself so this was when i realized like either i fight for myself or i go back into that lost feeling of like I don't know what's happening so I'd rather like take a grasp on it even though it's not like a direction that might be super fulfilling based on um, societal norms like design or art is very like when you hear about those type of careers you're just like oh it's it's not very lucrative you're not going to get a lot out of that so I wanted to make sure like I accepted that fate but even if that's my fate, it's fine. I like doing it. I feel fulfilled doing it. And so I faced my parents. I was like, hey, guys, fuck engineering. I'm going to switch majors to design. If you like it, great. If you don't, I'll still do it. And my parents are very against it. Like, we we were yelling at each other. Um, and Filipino parents get very aggressive. Um, so... And I still stuck with my gut. I was like, I don't care. My dad was even like, we were help, we were helping you fund your college. And now we're going to back out and you figure it out. We're not even going to help you with financial aid. Figure it out yourself. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way to fund myself. Or if not, I'll just do it without going to college. And so I like signed up for classes, tried to figure it out, almost gave up. But then my dad decided like, it's fine, fine, whatever, try it, if you don't actually, if you don't actually feel fulfilled, go back to engineering, um, and then that was the deal, and I took that deal, and ever since then, I'm very grateful that I took that deal, and I'm very happy with how design has shaped my life, 
I still go back to the days of the Philippines and how it would have been um, if I stayed in the Philippines. Like, what would my life be like? Um, I always try to like fantasize because I, that's actually how my, I feel like how my adventure side of my life started was I growing up in the Philippines, I had access to like big land from my grandparents. They owned a big farm and I was able to just like freely go anywhere, make friends with the farmer's kids and explore tons of area, um, run around and just feel really filled with whatever I was doing. I like thinking about that and really imagining myself like, what would that little kid think of like me now? Like imagine how excited he would be that I'm where I'm at now, like frolicking around in my van anywhere I want to go. Like that's, I feel like that's full circle. And I feel so, that to me feels like success. If I were to define success, that's a way of defining it for me. Beautiful. Kind of looking back at your childhood self and and kind of asking him like if they're proud of you that's that's an amazing exercise i think that we can all do and if the answer is yes they're proud of you then hell yeah we did it we yeah yeah that's incredible exactly that's why i said like i lived a life i can die now you know <laughs> so. i think we can flip the script i know that you had a couple of questions that you wanted to ask me so I can just turn it over to you. I just, I would love to ask you, like, how have you been able to, yeah, sustain Rogue and be able to really flourish? The only way that Rogue has been able to stay alive has been through the commitment of myself and other freelancers that work with Rogue to just really follow like a really strong craft driven process and to make work that we're really proud of and want to share and just really share it really hard. So that's been on Dribble, which is where I get or had gotten, let's say like 40% of my project. So coming from Dribble, that's kind of slowed down as Dribble's kind of shifted their kind of ideology and perspective, but also winning uh, awards in the web design space has led to projects and some future ones that'll be coming out down the road soon. Um, so maybe when this comes out, there'll be some more kind of hints and teasers about that. But, um, and I think it's, it, it's an interesting way to get work because I'm very heavily relying on people seeing the work and saying, oh shit, that's cool. Cause like, that's the yeah. feeling I'm trying to capture is that, oh shit, that's cool. That's so different. That's so unique. And if I can capture that, then at the end of the day, I've really kind of won because if you don't think that, then you'll never hire Rogue. But if you think that, then there's very little competition for hiring Rogue. And, and we compete against other agencies sometimes, but very often we get comments where, where it's like, we saw your work. We really, really like it. We want to hire you, but we are talking to a few other people and they almost like at the end of our conversation, just don't worry about the other people. So in mm. through, I guess, one kindness and in, in speaking with clients and actually caring about what they do. And then the, the second half is just really doing kick-ass work and really trying to transform their brand for the better. It, it has turned into a business strategy of, of kindness and kick-assery, if you will. 
That's that's what I'm gonna go with. I'll I'll coin that term, kindness and kick ass. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> to branch off of even more, I was wondering like, what's been the most fulfilling project or learning experience that you've gotten from leading Rogue in general? I think that you'll like this because it's not so much like a design skill, but it, I think it's more of a, a life skill. Through the process- That's even better. Yeah. <laughs> process of running a business and sustaining a business, I've had to learn how to pay people across countries. So like how to do wire transfers to other countries, I've learned how to price things and, and make a profit and use that profit in order to compensate employees, uh, team members, and turn profit into other projects. So just kind of using what we're making to do um, just personal work and, and kind of fun projects like that. So I've learned this skill set that has enabled me if design were to go away out of my life, I feel like I could leverage the skills of running a business, learning how to like do emails, doing YouTube, just like everything that I've kind of dabbled with and putting my hands in, social media, et cetera. And so I feel like I could turn all of those skills into another job if I wanted. So if I wanted to stop doing Rogue and open up a coffee shop, I could probably figure that out. I don't know the logistics of running a coffee shop, but I probably could figure it out through, I guess, the school of hard knocks and, and just a love of coffee personally. So I think that's what my favorite kind of adventure has been learning new skills and that personal growth as, as a business owner and a, and a human. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like as a creative, we've all also been talking about this since we were like we had our small studio, I guess, with the, uh, with Ted and Eric, um, just like the business side of things has always been a challenge as a designer, as a creative in general. And yeah, learning that skill, I feel like was probably a tough hurdle to get, but I mean, like you said, you could probably use it anywhere now within your life. So that's amazing. It's definitely the school of hard knocks for that. So like yeah. you price the projects bad and then you realize it's hard to make rent and then you get really scared. <laughs> So, so learning from that, um, obviously the consistency part of, of running a creative business is, is the hardest challenge to tackle, but I think it's really trusting, having faith that something will come ar around and it'll come around for the right reason. With Rogue, another question about that. Um, what's been the hardest pill to swallow and like really digest from the experience that you've accumulated? Eventually, you have to give up a little bit of the creative control around the process and projects. If you want to be the one to do all of the work, then you can, you can run your business that way. I wanted to be the one who would be essentially the project guide and to work with other great people so that we're all collaborating together in order to make, let's say, the greatest work of our careers. So turning over the reins and, and allowing others to run the show sometimes and, and knowing when to bite my tongue and just to listen has been the hardest pill to swallow because when you're in charge, you get a sense of that. Uh, well, I don't want to say power, but you, the responsibility and you want everything to go perfect. But mm -hmm. not all the time 
are you the one who has the right answer? So trusting others has been a difficult pill to swallow, but has been a really rewarding one in order to kind of grow. I totally understand that. When I moved to Workday, they had, they had a very structured design team, collaboration space, all that stuff. And it was all very new to me. And at first, like I was like, oh, no, I want to go back into my own little shell and design that way. But as I started realizing, like, oh, I could ask help. I could go to another designer and be like, hey, can you figure this out for me? Because I can't solve everything. I feel like, yeah, it's hard to go that route. But once you, like, cross that line of like, okay, I can't solve world hunger. It's fine. It's That's totally fine. But if I had a team to help me slowly, bit by bit, maybe figure something out. I like to uh, go through kind of towards the end of the podcast and go through some fast, fun, furious questions. What is your go-to drink of choice? It doesn't have to be alcohol. Go-to drink of choice, apple juice. Ooh, wow. That's a new one. I like it. Heck I yeah. love apple juice. I can't. I drink apple juice on the daily. <laughs> what is one thing that you couldn't live without? It's a hard, yeah, it's a hard choice between the van and Mackie. <laughs> <Sorry>, Mac. <laughs> I would say Mackie's a little higher, but yeah, van, I will always have a van. What advice would you give to your younger self? I like this question a lot and I love answering this question um, and my answer is always the same. I don't want to talk to the, I don't want to give advice to my little version or younger version because I feel like if I talk to my younger self in a way that will sprout a different version of me and I'm, I mean that could be a beautiful version of me, right? It could be a different version that I would feel also fulfilled or whatever, like if I shaped it the way that I would want. For me, I feel like the, the only thing I would say to my younger self is just keep doing you. Like, you don't need anything. Um, you'll learn as you go and everything will be fine. Just learn from the lessons of life and let it happen. Exactly. I'm curious about this too. If there is a book movie or show that has changed you as a person movie for sure um up from pixar i love pixar um and also the life of walter mitty or secret life of walter mitty um highly recommend both movies if you haven't seen um but especially secret life of walter mitty really got me into the headspace of like figure out your own ship don't be a cog um and yeah, so ever since I've seen that movie, that was a little bit after I got into photography as well. And that's what kind of started me thinking about like feeling stagnant in Boston. And another reason why I took the chance of moving to Colorado was also that movie is like, take the leap, do it, figure it out afterwards. What I learned from you in design school was to not let the bad shit influence how you act and the, and your personality as in, in just how you're presenting yourself in the world because there's always going to be challenges but you always had this upbeat happy personality and you were always this kind of 
this person that uplifted everyone through the uh... journey and i thought that was so beautiful and i've tried to be when i have those bad days i'm just like you gotta be more you got well yeah you're gonna make you gotta me cry more like Corel. yeah it's like honestly uh, that's yeah. amazing oh thank you appreciate you yeah absolutely man i still honestly think about that i'm just like no stop being a little stop being a little baby <laughs> <laughs> your life is great it's gonna be fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, well maybe maybe that's a perfect place to start to wrap it up as we're kind of all up in our feels now uh, but um i will i will pass it off to you if there's anything that you want to get out to the audience any closing words before we kind of wrap things up here life should be treated in a way that you are the curator and also the audience you should you should like how you watch your movie it's always gonna be fine if you feel aligned with the decisions you make. I think that's a beautiful message to wrap things up, to inspire and to allow people to marinate on that message a little bit. So in summary, design your life, do you, and stay happy along the journey because it's, it's going to shape up in your direction. And you will watch the movie of your life unfold into better things. Yeah, wow. You you got it all nailed down. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And to everyone out there, remember that we are all legendary and have an amazing story of our own. So on the journey, take the time to be kind, grind, and unwind. So let's make the world a better place by working more creatively together. Let's go. Yeah, let's go.